Now we're going to ask Lawrence and David, I think they're going to come and minister to us in song. Thank you, Lawrence and David. We appreciate David. David recently testified here at the youth rally, and we rejoice very much in his testimony of the Lord. Well, this morning, we didn't think that we'd be standing here this evening. Uh, going out the door, we sort of were <clears throat> conscripted to see if we'd sing a wee piece. So whenever I went home, I conscripted David as well. So uh, then the thought was, well, what do you sing? And uh, Anne knew that she had a copy of the order service from 20 years ago, down in the Martyrs, which she found about two weeks ago. And I thought it would be appropriate to sing a couple of pieces that was actually sung that evening which was on Wednesday, the 31st of March, 1999. There's a picture on the front uh, of this here. It's not in colour, it's in black and white, but I think it resembles more to James. Uh, on, on the front here of 20 years ago of the Reverend McLaughlin. And on that occasion, the three hymns that were sung was a psalm, which was Psalm 103, O Thou My Soul, Bless God the Lord. And the next hymn that was sung was Be Thou My Vision. And that's actually going to be our second hymn here, uh, I see this evening. And the third hymn that was sung was, All to Jesus I Surrender. Now, the first psalm has 22 verses in it, but don't worry, we're only going to sing four of them. Uh, we'll sing the, first, the four verses of this psalm, first of all. I surrender all, and we'll just sing four verses of that, and maybe on the last chorus, which is the fourth chorus, would everybody join in the chorus, just I surrender all.
a few verses, then we'll have a short prayer and then we'll preach God's word and then we'll sing the closing hymn and call them in the clerk of session to come and say a few words. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and we're going to read from verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 14. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live off the gospel. But I have used none of these things. Neither have I written these things that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, 
a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 18. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Let's just have a little prayer together. Father, we want to thank thee for thy presence with us so far. We thank you for these old hymns whereby we've been praising and worshipping thee. We're thankful, Lord, for the ministry of Lawrence and David, reminding us, Lord, of the psalm that was sung 20 years ago, and that tremendous hymn, All to Jesus, I Surrender, a hymn that means so much to many of us. Lord, there's many occasions when we resort to these words. And, Lord, we know that these words are true not only in the life of the Christian, but especially true in the life of the preacher. And, oh, Lord, I pray that you'll make them a reality as far as my life is concerned. Just remember us now. We've read together a few verses from the Scriptures, and we pray, Lord, you'll come by your Holy Spirit and you'll apply your word, and you'll use it tonight even for thy glory. For we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, my text tonight is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and the verse 16. And my theme tonight is the watchword of every gospel preacher. Paul said, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Now, 20 years ago tonight, to the very date, the 31st of March, 1999, I was ordained into the gospel ministry by the late Dr. Paisley and installed as the minister of the Carrie Duff Congregation in the Jubilee Complex of the Martyrs Memorial Church by the laying on of the hands of the Presbytery of Ulster. On that occasion, Dr. Paisley charged me to be a gospel preacher in Carrie Duff. And if my memory is right, and I think it is, I believe that the very first, or one of the very first gospel messages that I ever preached in this road was on the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. I think I had a simple outline then, the preacher's word, the gospel, and we also had the thought of the gospel being centered in the good news of the person and work of Christ. You had the preacher's work to preach and all that that meant. And then you had the preacher's woe, woe unto me. Woe speaks of judgment and sorrow upon me if I would fail to be a faithful watchman for God. Now, over the past 20 years, these words have been my watchword. These words have governed my life and my ministry. These words are very appropriate then for tonight. These words, of course, were uttered by the Apostle Paul. He was one of the great thinkers and theologians of his day, a most powerful preacher of the gospel. And you see, every gospel preacher has to be governed and guided by the words in this text. If you've ever been in the Macrofelt Free Presbyterian Church, there's a text behind the pulpit, and the text in the pulpit wall is the words of this text, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. But it's not just a text in the wall. Did you know it's a part of 
the brick wall. The text is actually made up of bricks and the wall. And to take down the text, you have to take down that section of the wall that makes up the pulpit wall. This is a great text, a most glorious text. Now tonight, I want to keep it in its context. I want you to understand why the Apostle Paul uttered these words. You see, Paul is urging the believers in Corinth to a life of self-denial, especially in relation to meat sacrificed to idols. Some believers in Corinth were very upset and horrified and um, dismayed that some fellow believers were eating meat that was sacrificed to idols bought in the marketplace. And these were known as the weaker brother or the weaker sister. And they had a conscience to abstain from such meat and they couldn't understand how others could buy it and eat it. So, so Paul writes to them that while they had deliberately to buy and eat this meat, he urged them to set aside that liberty and to act and adopt the mindset or the policy of self-denial lest they become a stumbling block to the weaker believers. He also urged a life of self-denial by speaking of his own personal testimony regarding the gospel. Look look at verse um, 14. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live off the gospel. See, Paul had that right, yet he chose not to exercise that right Many false teachers were seeking to harm Paul's ministry. They questioned his integrity, his honesty, his purity, his authority, his theology. And in light of this, he denied himself the right to financial and material support from the Corinthian church. And in light of this, then he urged his fellow Corinthian believers to to follow in his steps. And he urged them to a life of self-denial, even of legitimate things. While things may be legitimate, everything was not expedient for them. Paul was determined. Paul desired not to make the gospel of Christ without a charge. He knew he was free to refuse and receive such financial support. He also knew that he was not free to refuse or to refrain from preaching the gospel. You see, to Paul, preaching the gospel was not optional. It was obligatory. Paul was filled with a divine conviction, a divine compulsion, a divine confidence when it come to preaching the gospel. Listen to again what he says. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And tonight in this 20th anniversary of my ordination and installation into the church, I want to just leave before you very quickly what I'm calling the watchword of every gospel preacher. Now there's three things. There's always three things, isn't there? Sometimes there's four. There's a revelation to be defined. Notice the word in verse 16, gospel. It's mentioned twice. The word gospel from the Greek means good news. Good news from whom? Good news about what? Is this good news relevant to modern man in the 21st century? Now, I would encourage you tonight, if you have your Bible, to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and listen to the word of God. From verses 1 to 4. 
1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. But which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. I want to tell you tonight that the gospel is exclusive in its message. You see, there's only one true, real gospel message. There's not a plurality of ways to God. All religious paths do not lead to a relationship with the true and the living God. There's not many ways to become a Christian. Paul says in Acts 4 verse 12, or Peter rather, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You see, there's only one true gospel message, only one true mediator between God and men, only one savior of sinners, only one way of salvation. We live in an age of ecumenism, an age of pluralism, an age of the social gospel and it's not a big plague on the church today where people come into church and the preacher tries to make them feel good and build up their self-esteem and make them feel better about themselves but there's no mention of the cross no mention of the blood atonement no mention of heaven or hell or repentance or holiness no uh, it's all an attempt to redefine the gospel and and what it means But it's not a better life that men need. It's not more finance and job security and material improvement. Natural man, woman, young person needs to be saved. They need to be brought into a right relationship with God. And there's only one person that can do that. And that's the Lord Jesus. And he does it through this exclusive message, the gospel. You might say to me, well, that's being narrow-minded. You're a bigot. You're behind the times. Well, I want to tell you I stand with Paul. And if I'm a bigot, so was Paul. And if Paul was narrow-minded, so I am. And if Paul was behind the times, then I stand alongside him. I want you to think tonight of the source of the gospel. He said, I delivered, first of all, that which I also received. You see, the gospel starts with God. It's God's gospel. It's, it's God's message. It's God's good news to the world. It's not a product of Paul. He didn't dream it up in bed. He didn't go to a university and learn it. He, he didn't read it out of a book. He, he wasn't taught it in school. He received it by direct revelation from God. Listen to what he said to the church at Galata. He said, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel is exclusive in its source. God revealed the gospel to Paul. And what we need to rediscover is a fresh vision of the source of the gospel and and grow in our understanding of what it is. And and we, we long for revival of the revelation of the gospel 
in its source in this age of atheism where people declare that there's no God, in this age of hedonism where uh, men just live on a quest of pleasure, in this age of relativism when men do their own thing, what's right in their own eyes, and they set aside the law of God and there's no standard of right and wrong, in this age of secularization, what do we need? We need to be brought to the exclusiveness of this message that has its source in God. Think also of the standard of the gospel. Paul says here, according to the scriptures. Did you notice that? The Bible says to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. Jesus said, search the scriptures, for these are they that testify of me. Do you know the Bible's Christocentric? The Bible, in its message of God, It's governed by a definite standard. And in the Bible, one Bible and two testaments, or two testaments and one Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, there's one gospel message. And and men must preach that message, and it must be according to the Scriptures. There's to be no denying or or, or no doubt uh, that, that the Scriptures contain God's message. To deny the scriptures and doubt the scriptures to put souls in jeopardy. Think of the subject of the gospel. What is the subject of the gospel? It's all about Christ and the cross. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ died, that's an historical fact. We know he did that 2,000 years ago. Why did he die? Here's the answer, our sins. That's a great theological truth. That brings us to the depth of a a profound theological truth. I want to make it clear. I want to make it plain tonight. Christ was sent by the Father. He was sent as the only begotten Son into the world in a mission of mercy. He came as a substitute. He he took my place. He died for me. He he came as a surety. He he came to pay the debt that I owed to the broken law. He he came as a sin bearer. The the guilt and punishment of our sin was, was placed in Christ. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Think of Christ as the sin bearer. All the guilt and punishment of our sin placed in him. He bore our sins, Peter says, in his own body on the tree. Think of Christ as a sacrifice. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice forever, sat down at the right hand of God. A once and for all sacrifice for sin. A sacrifice that was accepted by God as a payment for sin. And that work was finished. In fact, he said, it is finished. That's the subject of the gospel. Think of the satisfaction of the gospel. Our sins. All kinds of sins. All kinds of sinners. It was Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian church, said to them here in chapter 6, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. Ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. When Christ died on the cross and shed his blood, he died that every kind of sin could be forgiven, apart from the unpardonable sin which is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. 
He fulfilled the law of God for sinners who would trust him. He he satisfied the justice of God. He, He satisfied the holiness of God. You think tonight of the drunkard, the gambler, the wife beater, the thief, the extortioner, the homosexual, those who are dead in trespasses and sin, no, no consciousness of their sin, those who are darkened in their mind by wicked uh, works, uh, those who are uh, diseased as far as their affections are concerned, they have no love or thought for God. Do you know that sin is not loving God with all your heart? Do you know that sin is unbelief? Sin is knowing to do good and doing it not. And, and here's the great problem that every man has. He is the sin problem. But here's the great portion for every man who will come and trust in Christ. Christ has made a complete and a full satisfaction for sins. For Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. So so put into your mind that he's not only the sent one. Not only the fact that he, he comes with a divine standard because he's fulfilling the scriptures. Not only the fact that, 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 that he offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. But think of the satisfaction that he's made. And then think about the seal of the gospel. Notice what the Bible tells us there in 1 Corinthians 15. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The tomb's empty. We'll soon be celebrating Easter. He is not here. He is risen as he said. He was died, literally. He was buried in the tomb, Joseph of Arimathea. We have stood in the garden tomb and we have seen it. And he rose again bodily the third day from the dead. You see, the resurrection, folks, was God's seal on all that Christ done. Think of all the religions in the world, and this world's a very religious place. What other religion has a founder that came and voluntarily sacrificed himself and shed his blood and paid an atonement for the sins of all who would trust him, was buried in a tomb, and three days later rose again from the dead bodily and showed himself to many. And and the same founder's coming back again to this earth to set up his kingdom. The Bible tells us that he, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Listen to these words in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 7 and in the verse um, 25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. How? Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And there's a connection between his resurrection and his life of intercession. That's why he's able to save, because he ever lives. He's a living savior. And he can give eternal life to all who trust him. Remember the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's a revelation to be defined here, the gospel. I've told you what it is. There's a recourse here to be disclosed. I I think of this word, preach the gospel. The Apostle Paul said, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me, if I preach not the gospel. The word preach is used twice. And the word preach here means a herald. Someone who's sent with authority to to proclaim or to announce a message. You see, the Apostle Paul had a divine compulsion within him to declare and to defend the gospel. In fact, he says here, 
for necessity is laid upon me. He saw it as a sacred duty, a sacred responsibility. Paul heralded the great truths of the gospel in the first century. There was a time when he wasn't converted. There was a time when he did all to hinder and halt the spread of the gospel. Think of the persecution of the early church. This man was exceeding mad. He was zealous. He he was breathing out slaughter and threatenings to, to everyone who was a Christian. And then, as he neared Damascus to do exactly the same thing, to imprison many and put to death some, and put a stop to this teaching of the Jesus way, this man was converted at noonday as he neared Damascus. And the stubborn sinner, he became a great stalwart of the faith. A stubborn sinner into a stalwart saint. And God put into the heart and soul, not only of this man, eternal life, but but God put into his heart and soul to become a preacher. And he never did nothing by half. He was not cold-hearted. He was not indifferent. When he is filled with the great truths of the gospel, He felt a a divine compulsion to preach them. And he heralded it forth to all who would listen. Thus and thus saith the Lord. God didn't raise up Paul to be an historian. He didn't raise up Paul to be a comedian. He didn't raise up Paul to be an orator like the orators of his day and generation. No, God raised him up to be a preacher. And this was the recourse that he had from the day that he could see it. Could I just tell you very quickly? He preached for the conversion of sinners. He, he said to all, repent ye and believe the gospel. You see, without repentance, there's no true conversion. Man's ruin has got to be set forth. We're dead in trespasses and sin. We're, we're darkened in our mind. We're, we're diseased in our affections. No love for God. No thought of him. No regard of him. That was true of me until I was converted at 18. And not only man's ruin is mentioned, but redemption through Christ is mentioned, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You see, in the gospel, there must not only be an exposure of sin, but an exaltation of the Savior in in his person and work, the person of Christ, the purity of Christ, the passion of Christ, the power of Christ, the, the pardon of Christ, the peace of Christ, the presence of Christ. I was thinking of those words Mary said at the time of his resurrection to one that she's supposed to be the gardener. Sir, they've taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And how many preachers in Northern Ireland just preach a wee homily, give a wee talk from the pulpit, share a few wee thoughts, maybe a few humorous wee stories. Maybe it's five or six minutes after the liturgy has all been used up. And it's as far removed from the gospel because man's ruin is never set forth and the redemptive work of Christ is never set forth. Paul, when he preached, when he announced this message that God had given to him, he did it with a view to the conversion of sinners. Could I tell you something else? He preached for the consecration of sons. You see, not only are we in Christ... But we must, in Christ, live for Christ. We love him because he first loved us. We're we're loyal to him. And we do it through the strength of Christ. With an eye to one day going to be with him. The motto has to be holiness unto the Lord. 
There's a hatred from sin, a turning from it to the Lord. And that's the fruit and evidence of a true work of grace. That's not the ground of our salvation. That's merely the evidence. And that's why in many of our pulpits in the Free Presbyterian Church, the text above the pulpit would be, we preach Christ crucified. Preach has to do with the preacher's work. Dr. Frank McClellan said, if you drop the P in preach, you get reach. In other words, you're reaching souls with the gospel. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. If you drop the R as well, you get each. So you have to think of every creature. And you give to every creature the free offer of the gospel. And you tell them, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But if you also drop the E... You get, ach, ach, I can't do it. And how many times have we heard that? And what we need in Northern Ireland is a race of Bible-believing gospel preachers where we're not saying, ach, but we're preaching because we've got a divine compulsion to preach and we're reaching out for souls and we view every man that needs the gospel as a potential to come to Christ. It was Micah that said, I'm full of power by the Spirit of God. And also we preach to comfort saints. See, the message has to be relevant. It's up to date. It's for every age. It's for every child and young person, man and woman. God's people need comfort. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. God's people need counsel. And it's a high calling. And it's a privilege. And it's an honor to minister to people and see their needs being met through the gospel. Paul says, I have nothing to glory of, nothing to, to boast in. You see, it wasn't just a, a job to Paul. And I want to tell you, it's neither a glorious job nor an easy job. Sydney is not here, and he, he, he said to me, I've only realized the other day that you just don't go home and open your Bible, and out pops a sermon. I wish it was like that, but, but, but it's not. It, it doesn't take place like that. And of course, in the Christian ministry, there's no place for pride or no place for personal ego. It was Spurgeon that said, pulpit is a shocking bad soil for the weed called pride. Preachers are full of our weaknesses, our failures, our, our infirmities. Preachers at time in handling people and problems get depressed. And, and, and a true preacher will never adopt the gospel to suit. He, he will announce the gospel. And he looked to the Lord for the gifts and the help of the Spirit in this job of preaching. Paul preached with a divine confidence that the Lord would give the increase, that the Lord would add to the church. It's the Lord's work. He preached with a divine conviction every town and city and village that he went to, his missionary journeys, the churches that he founded and pastored, the letters that he wrote. He had this divine conviction that God would glorify his name and exalt his son. I have one final thought. There's a reason here to be declared. Paul says, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Could I tell you this in closing? Think of this word necessity. 
Why preach the gospel? Paul did so because God had called him to do that. God had called him to preach the gospel and necessity was upon him because he had to exalt Christ. This was God's way. It pleased God by the foolish of preaching to save them that believe. Why? Because Christ is the only answer that God has to a sinful, fallen, rebellious world. And also to preach the gospel. Here's another reason that he felt this necessity that was upon him. Because it would deliver him from blood guiltiness of souls. Did you ever hear of J.C. Ryle? J.C. Ryle was born in Cheshire. He was the son of a wealthy landowner. His father was an MP. He went to Eton College. He went to Oxford University. He planned to be an MP following father's footsteps. But God had another plan. This was God's plan. In 1838, his final year at university, God saved him. And then in 1841, a few years later, like myself, he was called to preach. And he became conscious that he was called to be a gospel preacher. Eventually in the ministry, he pastored, I think, for 36 years in two rural parishes in England, at Stradbrook and uh, Helmsingham. And in one of the churches, I think it was in Stradbrook, they got a new pulpit. And it was a, a hex, hexagonal shaped pulpit. And in the pulpit was the text carved out of wood by the carpenter. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And it looked beautiful. And everybody was coming up and thinking, that, that man's done a powerful job. Wonderful. And what did, what did Ryle do? When it was all finished and people were there admiring it, he, he came up into the pulpit, he lifted the chisel and the hammer, and he took a big dig out of the wood underneath the word not. And he said that every time he stood in that pulpit and looked at that, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. See, he was conscious that he had to preach the gospel to exalt Christ. To, to direct sinners to him. And I say in closing tonight. I, I, you can go immediately to Christ. We urge you to go directly to him. Paul had only one theme in Corinth. And that was Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he preached in the power and demonstration of the spirit. You tonight if you're not a Christian. If you've never been born again. You never trusted Christ. You can go directly to him. You can go immediately to him. Do you know why? Because God blesses the preaching of Christ. The Bible says, He that believeth hath everlasting life. Believeth means knowing about Christ. It means mentally giving assent to all the propositions and truths that are taught about Christ. But it also means an act of faith and trusting him at a time in your life as Lord and Savior. You see, the gospel presents a Christ who can save. And that was a reason to be declared. Paul was conscious of that. God has called me. I'm to exalt Christ. I want to be delivered from blood guiltiness. And Christ is the answer to the need of sinners. I trust it tonight that we'll catch a flavor of the watchword of every gospel preacher. May the Lord bless these few comments to us this evening. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening.